Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. You are enough and you are exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Okay. It doesn't mean that you don't have things to work on. It doesn't mean that there are things that you, you know, you want to pursue, but you are enough. In the Women Who Code Career Nav segment of our show, you'll hear real world advice from people who are currently working in the technology industry and personally know the steps needed to succeed. Hi, and welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. My name is Natalia Days, and I am the Senior Director of Communications and Marketing at Women Who Code. I am very excited to introduce our guest for today, Ms. Sue Ann Hong, who is the President and CEO of the Center for Asian Pacific American Women. Uh, She worked with state farm insurance companies for over 28 years, including roles in data processing, diversity and inclusion, corporate business and technology portfolio management, and PNC auto, auto claims, excuse me. She infuses the philosophy of building, trusting relationships, collaborating, and bringing people together to achieve common goals. And she's also a certified life coach. Welcome, Sue Ann, to the Women Who Code podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm excited to be here. It's our privilege, I should say, to have you. I'm really excited to learn about your career and your passions. Um, so just to get started, how about you just tell us a little bit about your yourself, your career journey, um, and your relationship to technology and how it's impacted your career? Okay. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm an immigrant. I came from South Korea when I was eight years old. I actually flew by myself and uh, believe it or not, and went through Honolulu, LA, and then met my aunt in Chicago and flew up to the upper peninsula of Michigan, if you can only imagine. It was like the frozen tundra up there. And you know, I learned very quickly being one and only minority uh, in a very majority small town environment. You know, just a lot of uh, learning how to adjust kind of assimilate. And I think those are some things that I learned very early on that kind of served me throughout my career. So, you know, going to school in in the heart of America at KU (laughs) and, you know, just having experiences where I was constantly one of the few minority women. When I was at State Farm, I really had a great career there, you know, in different uh, ways, different parts of the country, different departments. But I think what I learned really, uh, I think the key learnings there were three things. One is just the ability to understand the environment in corporate and how to maneuver through that as a minority woman. Second is in dealing with customers directly. They don't have to be nice to you. (laughs) And in fact, you just you have to learn how to deal with all kinds of people who don't have to respond to you in a certain way. And then the third thing is to how to be compassionate with people who are not always at their best. It might be their best for that day, but, you know, they're having a difficult time. They just had a total loss, you know, on their auto, they have injuries. So you learn how to be very compassionate, even if the answer is no. So those are some key learnings that I've had. Can you tell us a little bit more just about your um, career at State Farm Insurance Companies and what it was like moving into leadership roles as a minority woman? Yeah. Um, When I first started at State Farm, I was in a uh, one-year program at the time. And they right after that one year, I was put into a leadership role immediately. So 27 out of the 28 years, 
I've been in management. <clears throat> and I think that really taught me a lot of humble uh, humbleness because most of these folks knew more than I did. They were older than I was. And I was the only Asian female in that entire department. And so I really had to learn how to navigate myself um, and felt very insecure and had imposter syndrome and all kinds of experiences. But as time went on, I had some incredible leaders who helped me along the way to say, hey, you don't need to know everything. Your job is to pull out the best in people, to leverage your team, and to then also give the vision and the direction and then go from there. So I think that's where my coaching started. My coaching passion for developing people started from that. And that was part of my brand. I mean, all throughout State Farm, anywhere I went, I think I was known for developing people. And I really loved investing in individuals and really understanding what they wanted, where they wanted to go, how they wanted to get there, and then like find ways where I can support them. And I think that's probably why my brand was so strong in that area. It was always through relationships, building trust, and then how do I leverage the talent that I have on my team and then follow up with if they did a great job, give them the kudos and the recognition. And But if we didn't deliver, then also holding them accountable and finding out ways that we can do things better and differently. So I think that was my consistent brand. And that's what I was known for moving up throughout the organization. And I think I had a, uh, the second thing was that I had a sponsor initially, first of all, of my first Asian American male department head who was like, what are you doing here still? I'm like, what do you mean? What am I still doing here? He's like, you should be further along by now. He was the first person who actually, actually I think said, you need to be thinking about these other paths. And because I didn't know, most of us, we don't know early career, what we're capable of or what the potential is or what jobs are even out there. So to have somebody coach you and guide you and advise you, that's when I got my first vice president sponsor. And that made all the difference in the world in opening doors. And I think that's a common theme. Whenever I moved up in the organization throughout my career, there was usually a sponsor or several sponsors who was pulling me along with them and saying, hey, she can do the job. Let's try Sue Ann, give that to her. She may not be ready now, but this is an opportunity to test her and see how she does. And so I was literally put into a role to lead. I was 27, I think at the time, and I was first assigned to lead a transition to take a department that was centralizing to three operations in the United States from 27 operations in data processing and literally take it to Dallas from 62 people in the department to 19. And it was my job to get us there. And I, I think I went home and I fell on my bed. I'm like, I did get a promotion, right? And because this does not feel like a promotion. This feels heavy. This feels like very heavy responsibility and people were upset. And, you know, some people were not going to have a job. So those are the, the big, hairy, audacious, you know, type of, responsibilities that I got early on that I think helped me in dealing with difficult situations where you have to deliver the organization's goal and mission, but do it with compassion because people are upset. 
and people are, you know, not liking what they're hearing, but it's your job to still deliver that result and help people through these difficult things. I think that's been like a common theme for me. Um, and maybe that's why some of the reasons why I got promoted is because I did go through very difficult things and helping people through it. I always say that, you know, at the highest level of a company, you know what you need to do many times from a visioning perspective of how you stay relevant. When it hits that individual though, that individual circumstances are going to dictate whether that's good news or not so good news. And I think that's where we have to really demonstrate compassion. So those are some of the things that I've been through. That's incredible. I you you said a few things that I kind of want to follow up on. You talked about imposter syndrome. Um, you talked about um, just overcoming um just internal fear. And you also talk about the importance of sponsorship, um, you know, for women in tech, for minority women, um, underrepresented women, sponsorship can be a huge thing. Um, but most women of color have a difficult time finding a sponsor who either um, understands their experience or um, who even is in the same field as them oftentimes in leadership. So what advice would you give to um, diverse women who are looking for sponsorship, looking for mentorship? How do they go about finding the right sponsor? Okay. This is a really, really meaty question that you just asked me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So first of all, <clears throat> mentorship can be in or out of the organization. You know, this is somebody who's going to give you a lot of great advice um, there's not really an accountability tie here, you know, um, they can, but they can give you honest feedback. Uh, feedback is a gift, right? Um, some feedback is great. Some you might want to park it to the side, <laughs> but this person, the mentor can definitely give you some great advice. Now the sponsor needs to be in the organization. Okay. Let's be clear. And a lot of times what I found is that I don't, at, you can't ask somebody to be a sponsor. That's not the way that works. But what I find is that if you are consistent in the delivery of what you do and your brand is consistent. So let's, let me give you an example. She deliver results. She does it with trust. She does it by building relationships. She galvanizes people. She doesn't just impact her area. Not only does she do that, but then she's reaching outward to other areas. So it's not all about me. It's not all about just what I'm delivering, but she does it in a consistent way, collaborative way that delivers results that are above expected. All of a sudden that brand starts to get out. Your immediate supervisor and their supervisor above that immediate supervisor, if they're on board, you have a pretty good chance. You have a much better chance of getting a sponsor the second thing that I think is important is the influence of even your department head. In my situation, the department head's reputation and their ability to get, you know, sponsorship for themselves. Sometimes that alignment occurs because you're in that chain of alignment. Does that make sense? So I think part of it is just understanding that you have to be consistent at something and you're known for it. And mine happened to be, she delivers results with collaboration and she's very heavily invested in our people through development. That I can guarantee, people didn't know me and they knew that. 
They knew my name. They knew that about me. And I found that out later. I didn't know that early on, but later in my career, I found that out. People found out, you know, when they knew that I was going to become their department head, as an example, in auto PNC claims. <clears throat> and I had 23 states uh, for the country for auto total losses. And I had people who didn't know me, but they somehow knew my reputation. And so they told me, hey, I had heard about you. And then they told me all the things they had heard about. But that's how you build your brand. That's also what sponsors like because they know that you're consistent. They want you to be a little bit predictable about the way you behave, the way, what you deliver. They're attaching your their name to you. If they're saying, hey, give you know Nat, uh, Natalia a chance to do X, Y, or Z, they're literally putting their name beside your name and say, I trust her and I'm putting my name behind this person. So they're putting their reputation on the line. So that's my question to the audience is, what are you known for and how are you consistent in what you deliver in your behavior on a day-to-day -day basis? Because that's how you build a brand. I love that. You say that's how you build a brand. Um, talk a little bit about building your personal brand beyond sponsorship. What is the importance of having a personal brand in, in build, developing your career? And how do you go about leveraging that brand so that you can excel into leadership? Yeah. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience uh, towards the end of my career, because it's not all roses, everyone, just, you know. Uh, so we were going through a tremendous amount of uh, reorganization. So your IT department at State Farm is huge. Um, it's probably like a little city in Bloomington, literally. Plus they have relationships. Uh, and when I was there, they had relationships with like India and, and all these where the work was being outsourced in different ways. But IT department and claims are the two largest organizations. And so we were going through a tremendous amount of reorganization like any other company, right? So one of the things that happened was there was no interview process. There wasn't anything. It was pretty much, there was a group of executives who made those decisions, who was going to stay, who was going to go, who was going to get a promotion, who was going to get the same level offering. So when it came down to me, I received an offer that was one level below what I was doing for nine and a half years. And frankly, that was a gut punch to me. I'm like, so basically what you're telling me is that's how you see me in terms of value as the organization. And frankly, I was hurt. I was really upset. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and the thing that's really hard is it all plays out publicly, you know, and so I had to really think about how I was going to conduct myself. And this comes down to the branding. I could have been, I was upset. Yes. But how I showed up to work, how I decided to conduct myself, I work, I decided that with a lot of heartache and tears and like, you know, a lot of contemplation and a lot of uh, talking to my village of friends, I decided to leave the organization. And that was a very hard decision for me because think about it. I mean, 28 years, it's like longer than some marriages, right? And so the fact that I had made that decision to leave, I they offered a package, so I took it. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to do for the first time in my life, but I'm going to kind of invest in myself. Because once I knew I accepted, if I accepted that offer, 
There was no looking back. There were no regrets. You had to literally, you know, say, I am all in. And I didn't want to be like, you know, one of those begrudging employees. That wasn't going to be me. So I think the decision that I made was a good one and the run, one that was right for me. And then the, the second thing that I decided was how productive can I be leading all the way up to the last day? I'm not going to quit on my, on the job, as they say, right? You can be on the job, but still quit. And I was not interested in that kind of behavior. So I literally like, you know, they were doing these meetings with a new leadership team. So I offered to kind of mind everybody's departments while they were gone because I wasn't invited to the table because I was leaving. So, and then I was doing all of the one-on-one still with my people. I was still doing all of the things that I wanted to do to support my people until the last day I left. That is the way that I wanted to leave my brand which is she's positive. She's going to fight through whatever adversity she's going to go with class where she's going to, you know, help continue to help people no matter what's happening to her. And she's not a victim. Those were the things that I was really thinking about, like, how do I want my legacy to be after 28 and a half years? So those are some examples of how I conducted myself. And I always say you have to manage your mind because your mind can go in a lot of different directions. I always say there's a three ring circus, but you need a circus master up there. Okay, so you have to choose how you behave, how you want to show up every day, even if it's difficult. And so that was the conscious decision that I made. And I was pissed off, you know, at the time. <laughs> so I was mad. I was angry. I was hurt. I was going through all of that, but I still chose to behave a certain way that's how you build your brand I love that um while you were working in diversity and inclusion at State Farm um what were some of the challenges that you overcame and what would you say beyond your brand um it's you've done incredible things but what was what were you most proud of so the diversity, equity, and inclusion director was an an interesting one because it was the first one that was supporting Michigan, Indiana, and Illinois at the time. And it was called a region. You know, we had all, all these different regions. Well, the challenge was I had no budget. <laughs> and they put me under, this was just one of those things where I had to kind of work through my mind. I was reporting to somebody, they put me in a reporting structure where I was reporting to somebody who actually was at the same level as me. So I don't, I think part of the sense that I got was, and this was Sue Ann's interpretation, is they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't see it as important at the time. And so they're like, just report to HR to the second level leader who was very, who knew me, we knew each other and it was, but it was awkward. It was really awkward because we were at the same level. And so I was just like, okay, so I don't have the, I don't have the, you know, the clout or the, you know, it's not seen as important. This is a new role and I don't have a budget. Okay. What are we going to do next? So I started with doing something that everybody could relate to, which had to do with strengths. So I decided to take Gallup, which I had learned from my experience at the Asian Pacific American Women's Leadership Institute. In Kapaa, I was a fellow 
and we had gone to Gallup and I said, I'm going to take that experience and I'm going to just start there. Let's talk, talk about like, you know, strengths and everybody's got them. So let's just start there. All we need to is buy books and then I can drive the discussion. So I had to find something that people cared about, like the what's in it for me. Right. And everybody cares about finding out about themselves. Oh, you want, I get to find out more about me. I'll do it. So that's how I started is I started to have the departments buy their own books. It wasn't that much. So I said, let's do that. And let me go around the region and I'll do these sessions on strengths. And then once they see what value that I can bring to the table, then I can ask for other things. And then, so I progressed that way. And I remember having to have people pay for any kind of conference I had. I, I was really good at getting other people to pay for stuff. <laughs> so that's how it began. The most difficult thing that I dealt with is when I launched an LGBTQ uh, effort in the zone. And I remember getting all kinds of phone calls from our agents and everybody who's like, you know, it's not about why do I care, you know, about sex and all the whoever has. I'm like, it is not about that. I literally had to do like field visits, but I also got a call from an executive in Bloomington at the home office. I remember like, hey, so what are you doing over there? <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to just bring awareness, education. I'm not doing anything crazy here. But at the time, I think it was still very sensitive. So that was my very first encounter where I kind of caused some ruckus and some disturbance, I think, of people's discomfort in the effort that I was doing. So I literally went on the field and did some field visits with agents and different things. And then the funny thing is, shoot, I got uncomfortable with some of the conversations that I had with some of these agents. I'm like, I don't think I need to know all that. So it's interesting how, you know, conversations, being open, being compassionate, being able to receive, whether you agree or disagree isn't the issue. It's your ability to take multiple points of view and hold it and not put judgment on it and your ability to really sit in that. And I think people then feel more comfortable talking to you. I mean, you're going to have all kinds of judgments in your mind. Don't get me wrong. But the ability to hold it, hold space, which is what I do all the time in Kapa. Now, I hold all kinds of spaces for women of color. And I think those the diversity work bled into that, into my Kapa experience. Because what I'm finding is that even if I say Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander women... They're so diverse within that group. They all have so many different experiences, geographies, and all kinds of, you know, some of them are mixed. Some of them are, you know, so they're coming in with all these different perspectives. And I got to be able to hold space so that they can show up in their authentic selves. So then we expand into the women of color after the Atlanta spa shootings. You know, and the fact that Walmart Center for Equity called and said, hey, you're doing all this work around Asian American women. What about women of color? Do you think that you could create some type of a program where there's some unity, some you know way to bring these women into community because they got to work together? I'm like, absolutely. So diversity work kind of bled into all of that later. That one experience at State Farm kind of I think started to prepare me for what I was getting ready to do at Kapaa. 
I ended up leaving the organization as a company, but guess what? They're, they're our sponsors. They're one of our biggest supporters. And I love that relationship, right? So the ability to hold those spaces, to be able to be okay with diverse and diverging opinions and thoughts and giving people space I feel like that's one of the kind of the superpowers that we have, if you want to call it that. And that's what brings the women together, I think, is that space. That they are diverse and they know it, but it's all okay. So hopefully that answers that question. It does. I really love the idea of holding space. Um, at Women Who Code, we um, diversity and inclusion is really, really important to us. Our community, we're 343,000 um, technologists, and we're in so many countries and so many different backgrounds, and so diversity and inclusion is really important. Um, I wanted to take a step back because you started to talk about um, KUPA or the Center for Asian Pacific uh, American Women and Asian Women, um, and I want to just hear a little bit about how you first got involved with the organization um, and then more about the mission and the work you're doing. Absolutely. Well, I first knew about it back in 2001 and 2002 when I was a fellow and State Farm sponsored me to go through this experience. And it was the first time that I think I saw a room full of Asian women. I had never had that before. So that was really like almost overwhelming saying all these individuals coming from all over the country, they look like me and we have some common experiences. I'm like, wow. So 2001 and two was the very first time that I got exposure to Kappa. And at the time it was called the Asian Pacific American Women's Leadership Institute. The organization actually started, was incorporated in May of 1995. There were 17 founding sisters Martha Lee is the founder and they got together in like 94 and they said, Hey, we think we need a space for Asian American women because you know what? There's racism, sexism. They don't get, you know, invited to leadership tables, decision-making tables. What are we going to do about that? And so they actually created this, a poly program to create space. And I think one of the biggest things that I recall her telling me was that, I don't want these women to be by themselves. They need a community. They need support. And that was the kind of the, I think when you ask all of the, the Apali classes and even the Unleash the Shiro and You classes, one of the biggest thing they'll tell you is that, oh my gosh, I have this community of women, like they're, they're sisters. And I think that's what people are looking for. So that was one of the biggest things. The second thing I would say is for a long time, the Apali program was it. But now we've got conferences, women of color conference in March of every year. We've got a regional conferences still specifically to Asian American, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander women. And I just launched the Compassion Circle last night for 2023 and 24, which is more of an organic group. Not everybody wants to do a cohort, you know, so... This is more of a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring experience. And that's called the Compassion Circle. And then I'm really excited. I am getting ready, ready to launch a mentoring program, first one that's using a platform called Dreamy. And that Dreamy was founded by an Asian American female. And so I'm always looking for and looking forward to working with entrepreneurs 
who are Asian American women, as well as women of color. And so if you look at all of my programming, all of the things that we do, I usually hire and I will hire an entrepreneur who's an AAPI woman or a woman of color. So I'm like, no, we're going to foster entrepreneurship and we're going to you know, bolster her. And so those are some of the things that we offer. And, you know, my thing is, if there is a way to provide community and create space so I can have more reach to more women and especially young people who are up and coming five years or less, Unleash the Shiro and You is the program that I would recommend. And I call it that because we've got that broken rung. You know, uh, McKinsey and Leanin.org does a study every year that's called Women in the Workplace. And I just uh, they I just did a consultation for them for parts of that report that's coming out in the next few weeks. And it's something that we all watch every year. Did we improve? Yeah, no. We still have one in four women who are in C-suite. One in 25 women of color in C-suite and one in 50 AANHPI women in C-suite we got a lot of work to do. So I am very passionate about through Kapa providing space, number one, that's safe, that's for, you know, creating honest conversations, bring your authentic self and be seen and heard. And then what are we going to do with all that talent? How are you going to unleash it? Who are you going to help next? Because guess what? The expectation is 25 or more people in your community you need to impact positively after you're done with the program. And so it's never just about you. It's about you plus others that you can pull along with you and the fact that you can support them in a very, very compassionate manner. And by the way, I always find this interesting. Um, and this is one of the things that I think is important for the new mentoring program is you know, we have, um, thank you to Estee Lauder for sponsoring us for this. But my question to all these women is, what does advancement mean to you? Because guess what? Advancement may or may not have anything to do with vertical advancement, which is the traditional way of thinking about advancement. But what I want to know is, what do you want in terms of advancement? And guess what? The mentees get to define that, not me. So then my goal is what do we need to do then to support you in that endeavor? What kind of a mentor do we need to provide you with that's gonna support you in your advancement, in your life, in your career, in your wellness? It could be all these different things or it could be promotion. So hopefully that gives you some perspective. I get all excited talking about it. It does, I love it. I, I, I really enjoy listening to you talk about um, pathways being different for every single person. Um, because I think a lot of times, because role models at certain levels um, can be few and far and in between, um, you see certain paths and you think, I have to stick to that same path to get where I want to go. I have to do it exactly the way that she did it. And that's just not the case. You can forge your own path and find people along the way who will help you um, on the journey that you define for yourself. So I really, really love that. Um, yeah. You talked about like inclusion and diversity just um, with Kapa and just in your work. Um, how, what advice or guidance or um, let me say that differently. How can companies be better at DEI and creating space for diverse women? 
So there are multiple ways. The probably the, the most common ways I see is formation of employee resource group and business resource groups. So that's one way. So I see the ones for women, for young professionals, and then you usually have one for Asian Americans, Latin, Latin American, you know, and uh, Black Americans. You'll see all these different groups. But the biggest thing and the most difficult thing, in my opinion, is the ability to create a culture of behavior that is inclusive. So let me give you some example. One is how well, if you're a supervisor, how well do you really know your employees? Your, your Every person on the team, do you know about their cultural nuances? Do you understand why somebody may not be able to work on a certain day? Do you know why they wear their hair a certain way? You know, do you understand why that, you know, certain holidays are very important? They're asking for a day off, right? You have to understand your employees, which means, guess what? You got to talk to them, okay? And I always put the onus on the supervisor. You Supervisors have a more of a responsibility even so than an employee because you're in leadership. So I expect you to lead. So I think that that messaging of what is appropriate behavior, modeling the behavior all the way from your top executive down, it's not enough to just say that we support DEI. When George Floyd happened, I was watching to see who are all the companies that were saying something. And then right after what happened at the Atlanta spa shootings, I was also watching what companies were making statements. And some company, like, why is it you can say something about George Floyd, but you don't say anything about the Atlanta spa shootings, right? So I watch those things for consistency in behavior for companies, because I do think that you cannot have a one-time kind of an incident, right? If you get pushback on an LGBTQ issue, are you going to back away? Or are you going to make a stance and say, no, we stand with our employees and customers who are in this community, right? So I watch for that because there are things you have to manage from a publicity perspective, but your values as a company, are you holding to it or not? And that's what I watch. It's It has been, I would say, very, very interesting to go from all of the statements that came out, all of the initiatives that were launched when um, George Floyd's life was taken. Um, and we've gone through like a great resignation. We've gone through quiet, uh, quiet quitting. We've gone through layoffs. We've gone through all kinds of things at um in company culture um and one of the things that has happened is that we're starting to see just a downward trend in support for DEI initiatives in companies um so i think hearing you talk about um just consistency in messaging is really important in 2023 because of a lot of organizations that were really really loud um at the beginning, I would say of the pandemic, are now downsizing their DEI DEI initiatives in a way that no one. I guess some people expected. If you work if you work in DEI, you probably expected some kind of um, change. But I think my follow up question for you would be: um, outside of what companies can do, how do we empower more diverse women into leadership? Oh, I love this question. Can we have a whole segment just on this question? <laughs> um, okay, everybody. 
here's the deal. The way I, this is a Sue Ann's perspective. So take it at that. Um, number one is that there are things that the company has to do as an organization and as a responsibility. There are also things that we have to do to prepare for opportunities. It is not about just, you know, I think a lot of times um, people don't know how to do things or where to go, so they don't do anything, right? But preparing for opportunities is important. So how do, I'm gonna be very practical now, very tactical, just as a heads up. How does your LinkedIn profile look? When's the last time you refresh that? Get a real picture that's professional looking, that you have a good tagline, you have your updated information. Your When's the last time you updated your resume? When is the last time you had a conversation with your mentor about what specifically is that you're going to do for, you know, we got 20 to almost close of 2023 coming, everybody. Perfect timing to talk about what you want to accomplish in 24. And not only that, what is the plan? I'm a big plan person. So when somebody used to come into my office and sit down, they knew the first question as, so how are you doing and what are you working on right now? I expected an answer that's like more than I'm doing well and I'm kind of working on a few things and this, no, I needed a, I want to know what you're doing. How are you promoting whatever it is that you want? What are you doing to be intentional? Intentionality is key. So it could be very, and I'm a, a big fan of like behavior-based type of um, individual development plans, not the tactical. So I want to work on, here's an example. I want to work on being more effective in the way that I present, like in my communication, in the way that I deliver messaging. I'm going to work on that behavior this year. And then underneath that, I'm going to have all kinds of opportunities to enhance that Oh, and by the way, I'm going to have people who I trust, who's going to be give me honest feedback, who's going to actually like give me that feedback so I know if I'm doing better or not, because I got to know how I'm doing. So my point being is that we have all kinds of opportunities as women of color to leverage each other for feedback, to be able to come up with a plan for ourselves, have a targeted focus on your development, and then refresh your mentors. And then also, when there's an opportunity for you to be uncomfortable, like I'm going to put you on stage and put you on a panel, you don't say no. You say yes. So I always say push it, and we're going to give you support. And then come to Kapa, come to Women of Color Shiro program. It's open right now. It's for young professional. I don't charge a tuition because I want to give access because young people, young professional just starting out, they're not going to have thousands of dollars to go invest in a development program. I, but I want to be able to give access. But I do expect a, a give back to community. Take those experiences, say yes to those things when they're offered. So that's what I would say. Thank you so much, Sue Ann. Um, do you have any final thoughts for our audience, for our um, audience of professional women? Um, and how can people get in touch with you if they um, want to learn more about you? Absolutely. So I am on LinkedIn, Sue Ann Hong. And uh, so please connect me with me there. I get all kinds of people reaching out and I love that. 
Um, and then S-A-H-O-N-G at kapa.org is my email if you want to directly connect with me. I'm going to say three things. One is you are enough and you are exactly where you're supposed to be right now. Okay. It doesn't mean that you don't have things to work on. It doesn't mean that there are things that you, you know, you want to pursue, but you are enough. And we got to continue to tell ourselves this. Number two is that you are not alone, that there is a community of women. There are people who can help. So don't be afraid to ask for help because that is not a weakness, everyone. Vulnerability is a strength. Okay. And then finally, I say, if you want to reach for something, you know, it is possible. You just need a plan. So reach out if you want to talk more, get help if you need it. And I am here if you want to talk more about your individual circumstances. Thank you so much, Sue Ann. Um, and thank you everybody for tuning in to the Women Who Code podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash women who code. Thanks again for listening. And remember to subscribe, rate, and comment.